Cool Tuesday, spring day for me here in Colorado. I am Ashley, and this is the show Cyber Therapy. Um, if you are new here, would love it if you subscribe to this channel. If you're on YouTube or if you're looking, watching us on LinkedIn, feel free to follow Jupiter One um, or follow us on Twitter. Uh, all three of those will notify you when we're up next, uh, as well as some other shows that we're running, like 100X Engineering, which if you're interested in hearing a developer's perspective, Feel free to tune on on those Tuesdays as well. Uh, with me, I've got Tyler Shields. Hello, hey, hello. Hey, hello. That that opening, I think it's the best opening I've ever heard you do. That was <laughs> so on point. Like you nailed it. You're like, the only thing I didn't hear was the word smash, crush, or destroy when, when talking about the like and subscribe buttons. Like you got to right. smash that like button. <laughs> but other than I was that, that, I for the that end. Was, that was the best opening to our show to date in 13, 14, 13 episodes. Yeah, 12. This will be episode 13. This will be episode so. 13. Yeah, no, that's 13 is our lucky number for openings. Well done. Woo! And hello yeah. to you, and I hope you had a happy Easter. Did you do anything fun for Easter? Let's see. What did we do? Um, Hug out with some friends. Slept a lot. Didn't do a whole lot because my sister-in-law and her husband and her kids are actually here this week. So if you hear kids... Running around in the background, screaming. That's them. They just got here. They're really excited. Um, and they may have been given a heads up about an Easter egg hunt. So, oh. yeah. What about you? Did you do anything over the weekend? I, I actually, my my parents, uh, we celebrated my parents' 50th anniversary over the weekend. <gasps> wow. Yeah. So golden we anniversary, went, right? I guess. I don't know. That's a great I question. I think 50 I is golden. So. Okay. I didn't get them any gold. No, not at all. Um, <laughs> We did, my brother and I did, uh, our families rented a monster, like three-story beach house um, at Nags Head. Nags Head? Yeah, Nags Head. And uh, went over there for the weekend and, and had the kids and did a, did a scavenger hunt. And I think my parents are still there through Wednesday. So mom, dad, if you're watching the show, hello. Um, they never watch the show, but um, we, can, we can pretend <laughs> and wave anyways. But no, we did that over the weekend. That was kind of cool. The weather was not really warm. So, you know, we bundled up in, in sweatshirts and stuff for the beach, but... Talk to me about how, what are we doing? Something new uh, lining up, right? Yeah. Yes. I'd like to introduce a new segment where we've got Tyler <laughs> giving his hot takes. Okay. Okay. This is enough news of the items. old. We, we got to stop here. We've got to stop the 1998 Tyler photo. Folks, okay. that photo. I'll bring in your glamour shot instead. Then, next time. I'm literally 23 in that photo. And I look. <laughs> Like, I look absolutely ridiculous. So we have to stop the 23-year-old uh, Cyber Tyler photo or whatever we're going to call that. We got to get rid of that. Time to upgrade. Okay. Duly noted. We'll we'll keep that in mind for the next one. Next you know what you should do, Ash? And we're going to huh. be way off track and time is going to fly. But what you should do is contact my wife, who you know, and ask her for a bunch of funny photos. That would probably work out well. Perfect. Yeah, Will do. Okay. Kelly, exactly. if you're watching, I'll be, I'll, I'll be hitting you up after the show. There you go. All right. So news, news takes, hot takes on news. Uh, first up. Um, oh, so GitHub. introduce oh. the new, the new. You didn't tell what we're doing for the new segment. That's what I'm getting to. Well, don't just jump right in. You got to tell them what Why we're doing. Not? Okay. What we're gonna do is we're just gonna bring up some news articles <laughs> that happened in the last week, and Tyler's gonna give his hot take on it, or at least like help us understand what's going on. Um. There'll be some hot Initially, takes, there'll be some education, yes. there'll, there'll be some learning, there'll be some discussion, there'll be some debate. Yes. Um, Initially, the goal I here is thinking... not to be 
not to be another stupid, boring, no. like, hey, let's run the news. Doo, 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 doo. Like, we're not going to do that. We're going to do just a few things, give a little bit of hot takes, give a little taste of our opinion on them. And we're going to move into the next segment of the show. We'll see how it goes. If you like it, smash the like button, smash the follow button. Yeah, all of those wonderful things. <laughs> um, and if you don't like it, definitely got to smash it harder so that it like breaks YouTube. That, so smash the like button double hard if you don't like it. All right. So general theme here, initially what I was thinking was how you would explain the news to your mama. So for me, I was thinking, how would I explain it to my mom? It would be different for my dad because my dad actually works in cybersecurity. So he's in the know of a lot of the lingo and whatnot. But my today mom has so much stuff. Today yeah. I learned. I did yeah. not know your dad is in cyber. We're going to have to press on that on a future episode. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Uh, so first news article that we are talking about. So uh, GitHub security let us know that there were some stolen OAuth user tokens that were floating out and about. And was just wondering if you'd give us... A little. You're opening with the hardest one. one. You're opening with the I hardest did. one. I did. Well, know that did. one is like the most interesting one to me. It is, but it's the hardest one to explain in layman terms. <laughs> because you got OAuth tokens, and then you got these apps that are using OAuth tokens to access GitHub. Um, in particular, the Heroku and the Travis CI, I think they're dashboard apps that connect to your GitHub via an OAuth token, I believe. And, and our guest today will probably be able to shed some light on this if I totally mutilate the description, and he might be able to make it even easier for us to consume. But um, the OAuth tokens are maintained by Heroku and Travis. They connect to uh, GitHub and do things for you with GitHub, right? Provide some stats and data or whatever. Those OAuth tokens were compromised. Basically, the way I understand it, allowing anybody who was um, – uh, creating a situation where anybody who had that Heroku or Travis extension enabled, plug in whatever you want to call it, app enabled, uh, allowed the attacker to actually get in and download private repository information. Now, the layman term version of that, I'm not sure how to make it any simpler than that, other than if you had this plugin installed, all of your private programming code that you created could be stolen, right? That's kind of the, literally, if you try to boil it down to, to two seconds, but this this one's really interesting to me because this is a combination of like a token-based attack that had a massive broader deployment or massive broader potential for compromise. So I've always said as an attacker, I, I if I was an attacker, I generally wouldn't do targeted attacks, right? They, they, they You go for one person, go for one thing. I love attacks that provide amplification or volume amplification where I can target one thing hack one thing and get access to everybody who's using it, right? That's always a much more exciting attack vector for me as an attacker. Not that I would do it, but this is one of those situations where I stole the OAuth codes that allowed me to, anybody that has that plugin in it or that app installed, I can steal all the private private uh, code from their private phone. repositories. Well, thank you for that, for that tidbit. Um, all right, on to the next one, because we don't want to bite too much into our interview <laughs> time with our guest. Yeah. Uh, Net Security uh, and Synopsys, they did an article and they talked about how 81% of code bases contain known open source vulnerabilities. So wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, the state of security as it mm. pertains to open source, as well as how it affects other things related to open source. I can literally show you a presentation I did on this exact topic, topic in 2008. This is not a new topic, but somehow we can't fix the problem, right? Somehow we can't actually fix the fact 
that open source code has a vulnerability that then gets used in another open source package, making transitive risk occur, that then gets used in another open source package, making transitive risk occur, that then gets used in some public piece of code, right? So 80, 81% of code bases contain known open source vulnerabilities sounds low to me. Like Really? Yes. We literally have this problem everywhere. And the reason is that that transitive risk that I just explained makes it almost impossible to find all those vulnerabilities that are coming through that chain. Because code one uses something from code two, which is something from code three. And next thing you know, you don't even know you have log4j in your system because you used a library that used a library that used a library that, that made a call to log4j and embedded log4j. Now, don't get me wrong. There's some static analysis ways to detect these kinds of things. And I'm glossing over. And again, Clint can dive into this for sure, given his background. <laughs> Super smart in this area. But it's just a difficult problem to solve. And I'm, I'm kind of bummed that this still is an issue. I really wish, wish that, that this wasn't an issue anymore. Um, but we can't seem to get rid of it. And I don't, I don't quite understand why. Well, I mean, to quote what Jason Chan's episode, if you're a defender, it's like a constant onslaught. There is no like reprieve, really. It's really hard to have the wins because you're constantly trying to fix all the things that are broken. Yeah, so I mean, there's a good I, quote I in this article. Just, huh. The good quote in the article, the findings underscore the fact that open source is used everywhere in every industry. Mm -hmm and is the foundation of every application we build today. And that's not wrong because we don't, as developers, we don't code anymore. We are yeah. assemblies, assemblers. We, we assemble, we connect, right? We don't write a whole lot of code from scratch. Most of what we do is glue in libraries and things that other people have written previously. Why reinvent the wheel? Create the glue code and off we go. So, um, yep. yeah. I think uh, last, month, last month we just published a report um, studying the cyber asset environments uh, of... 1,240 organizations. And so my colleague, Jasmine Henry, who did a lot of the research and analysis, she found that only 8.7% of code is actually built in-house, um, which means that the other 91.3% is all basically assembled from open source or you know outsourced. So I thought that was a pretty interesting, scary stat. Not that I want to contribute to the FUD that's out there, but the fact is we're all kind of reliant on each other when we're putting code together today. today absolutely. So. Absolutely. It's going to take the, it's going to take the village to, to solve the problem. Indeed. Um, okay. Uh, we have one or two more you want to do. Why don't you do one? Let's do the smart rings one. I like that. <laughs> one. And, and I okay. have a lot of questions for you on this one. For me? Okay, okay. Yeah. So the article that we're talking about is from Cyber News. It's talking about the next big thing in wearable tech. And so, you know, wearable tech like Fitbits and watches and stuff like that. In this particular one, they honed in on the ring. Um, Aura. The Aura ring is like one of the ones that they cite. And I think there's another like token ring that they talk about that um, provides five-factor authentication. Uh for what it's Which, worth, I looked at their website and I couldn't figure out what the five factors were. I dove into it. <laughs> I, I'm not sure what they are, but apparently there's exactly five. So Okay. All I got to say on that one is I barely wear my own wedding, wedding ring right now. Well, I was going to so, ask you, would you wear this ring? Would you wear any of these rings? There's like five or four or five of them listed in this article. Would you wear them? No, I would. Uh, one, I'm not a big ring wearer. Um, if I do, I wear like the silicone ones from like um, Kalo, 
sure. uh, or like, you know, the stackable ones. Um, but rings are just not my thing. All right. So the aura ring tracks the wearer's sleep patterns, heart rate, body temperature, movement, and brain function through your finger. Mm-hmm. Not sure how that works, but apparently your, your, your brain connects to the finger bone or something. I um, mean, you've got nerves that go. <laughs> So right. these insights are sent directly to its smartphone app and can even detect the early onset of fever to help identify identify possible flu or COVID-19 infection early. Would you wear a ring that that tells you all of that stuff? Would you would you say, okay, I'll wear this ring because I get that knowledge? No, mostly because <laughs> no, I mean I don't care. I'll so pass. I did matter. so I did wear a Fitbit for a while to just get me to start tracking like my sleep schedule, right? Mm-hmm. And making sure I actually get a decent amount of sleep and quality sleep. Cause mm-hmm. that was just a time period where I was like stressed out all the time. So it was like my first four way into building in boundaries for myself. Um but like once I got into a good rhythm of like sleeping well, like I didn't even use it to really track my steps because, you know, remote times, I'm lucky if I walk around and get a thousand steps in a day in my house. So it's not really the the whole physical health tracking is not really my thing. However, you know, there's merits to under to being able to triage things earlier in your health. So oh, I will sure. give it there. But for sure. Um, but then yeah. I want to ask you, let's assume for the moment. Well, here, I'll tell you my story of, 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 of this kind of like health uh, wearable tracking. And then I'll give you my spicy hot take. If you want to, if you want to uh, bring up the hot take symbol, I'll give you my spicy hot take on uh, my spicy hot take on where, oh, geez, there it is again. My spicy hot take on wearables. You can remove it now. Thank you. Um, I'm not a fan either. And I thought you were going to be a fan, which was going to be a nice like counterpoint, point counterpoint situation. But apparently we both hate wearables. Um, the last time I used a wearable length of time, um, it, it going to get fit. So I, I put on one of those wearables and it was like, hey, do you want to be at 10,000, 12,000 or 15,000 steps a day? Which one do you want? Low, medium or high? And I'm like, I'm going to just start with it. Let's just do tw- you know, 10,000 steps. We'll be considered I threw the thing away after about a week of not getting past 1500 steps. <laughs> Honest to God, like I'd go to bed, I'd look at the watch. It's like, you, you walked 1587 steps today. I'm like, holy cow. So I just stopped wearing the thing. Cause I'm like, I am so off from reality. I don't even think I could grow into fixing that problem. So my spicy hot take is for people like me, we just don't care. We're just willing to live completely out of shape, drink our bourbon and be perfectly okay with, with, uh, with our health being mediocre. Um, but in this article, I did want to bring a couple, a couple of points up before we get over to our amazing, um, guest for the day. They're actually introducing really cool rings that do transactions, that do NFC payments, that do authentication, that do, um, all sorts of data tracking. Does this become the next potential privacy issue? Meaning, okay, it's one thing to track all that, all that information that we just talked about. But that's stored on some system somewhere. And is there a risk to us of having all of that compromised, including our fingerprint, our biometric patterns, our heart rate, our our sleep patterns? Literally everything is sitting in the cloud for compromise. Does that worry you or cause any risk for you? I mean, unless I had like 
a biometric scanner to a big ass safe full of gold or something like that. I really don't think that that's like something to be concerned about uh, for me. Honestly, here's, here's another spicy hot take. <laughs> the world doesn't care. And I would love, can we bring our guest in? I do want to ask him a question on this. Let's bring our guest, Clint Gibbler, Gibbler, the amazing um, content guru, the man, the myth, the legend, the, the, uh, the sole proprietor, I believe, and certainly owner of, um, TLDR Sec newsletter. For those that don't know about TLDR Sec, we'll get into that in a minute. But I do want to ask you, Clint, would you be willing to wear that knowing what's comprom- what's potentially shoved up in the cloud and, and at risk? And then I'll give you my hot take. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. First, uh, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I think uh, I guess we can maybe do a point counterpoint here because I because uh, I am I think more tinfoil hat wary than maybe most people, um, definitely general populace, but I would say maybe average for like security professional. Um, yeah, I will say I did recently, so I have uh, smartphone wise, I've like always have an Android, uh, but my most recent is actually an iPhone because I finally was like, well, I feel like the, um, I didn't want to be as involved in an ecosystem where the business model is knowing mm-hmm. everything about Whereas, you know, Apple makes money from the hardware and services and things, and it's not like strictly just, you know, mining your private information. Um, So for the smart ring in particular, probably has a lot less info than like other devices, like a, like a smartphone or maybe even a smartwatch. So like, um, I guess like how I would make that decision is think through like what information does it have? And then what could like someone optimally do with that information in a negative way? Um, So uh, like for phone or something like that, like if you have geolocation and like safe searches and stuff like that, there's uh, been a bunch of articles about things that could happen like, oh, hey, we saw you visit um, like uh, an abortion clinic or we're staying overnight at this house that's not your partner or like you can infer things about people's life choices and who they're associating with based on their location and things like that. Um, in terms of like a... Uh, um, like obviously like the payment and stuff. I thought I didn't know some uh, rings were doing that. So that's pretty interesting. Um, but in terms of just like your heart rate and maybe how many steps and things you do, like, yeah, it's like, oh man, we can tell, you know, Tyler never works out or never walks or something, but it's like- <laughs> That's a given. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that's a like a, um, like your insurance company or something could hold that against you and raise your that's rates true. maybe. Um, so, so is the, is the net net Clint that you would not wear it? Um, I would consider wearing the ring if I deemed the health insights greater than, I I would say the risk to me is low, but if it's better at like, for example, measuring like sleep habits and like how good quality sleep, uh, I feel like that's pretty useful. Um, so I would consider wearing it. Yeah. So majority of people would trade their privacy for a, for a French fry. Like the vast majority of human is like, Hey, anything that makes my life even 10 seconds easier, I'll give away the the farm. Like they don't even think twice. So I think I represent closer to that, which is funny given how long I've been in cybersecurity over 20 something years, you'd think I'd be more tinfoil hat than that. But it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I, if I found value from it, I would wear it in a heartbeat. I wouldn't even think twice. Like, but yeah, again, I think I'm the, the, the non-norm in our circles. But anyways, let's move on, uh, Ashley. Let's move on to the reason we got Clint on this show. Um, Clint, I am 
the biggest fan. There's a handful, and by handful, I mean sub-handful, like three. Three pieces of email that I read that come in that I, I every single time, I always check my little box that puts it into my to-read folder, and I make sure I read every single copy. And one of those things is the TLDR SEC newsletter. It's one of my favorite pieces of content. You've done such an amazing job of, of distilling the, the content into a form that's like, valuable to me, but also lets me just quickly get through to the meaty ones that I want to get through, but yet still find value from the ones that I don't. I think you got the coolest content in, in cybersecurity. So I definitely want to bring that up. But before I do, no, thanks, man. Can, can you, for the audience, give us a little bit of background about yourself? Tell us who you are, other than the guy that runs TLDRSEC, which I'm totally hyping up right now. Um, <laughs> tell us who you are. Tell us your background. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, sure. So I uh, grew up in the Midwest, uh, largely in Ohio. I went to school in Cleveland, uh, majoring in computer science. I decided that was a little bit too cold. Um, so I went to California for grad school where it doesn't snow nine months a year. Uh, so I went to UC Davis, then was a, a security consultant at NCC Group. So doing like pen testing and things like that for a number of years in uh, cloudy San Francisco, uh, still in the Bay Area now. Uh, but now I work at R2C, which is a uh, sort of a small startup building an open source static analysis tool, which is also sort of a passion of mine. So a tool that looks at code to try to find vulnerabilities or just enforce best practices, enforce security faults, things like that. Um, and then along the way, I also started um, TLDRSEC, which you can check out at uh, tldrsec.com, uh, which is basically um, trying to take the best tools, blog posts, talks, and resources, and put it into like a digestible place that you can read quickly uh, or skim, you know, once a week, rather than, you know, looking at our NetSec and Hacker News, and there's all these other security newsletters and uh, Twitter. And basically, like, you're like, hey, I want to keep up with things. I'm OK missing some things, but I just want sort of the good stuff, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. Um, my hope is that it's the most info-dense thing that you can read every week in InfoSec. That's, a, that's my goal. I love that term, info dense. Um, I don't want to gloss over this because here I know for a fact in this in this episode for the audience that's listening in this episode, we're going to talk a lot about content creation and what it means to create content in a cybersecurity specific world, right? Because we have certain audience traits that may not be general populist traits and things like that. But I don't want to I don't want to just jump past maker of SEMGREP. Can you tell the world about or the audience about SEMGREP? and what that is in a little bit more detail. Because what's amazing to me is the depth of your knowledge in things like reverse engineering, static analysis, like that stuff's hard, hard stuff. I, I, I spent a, a big portion of my career in that, in that world too. That stuff's not easy. What did you create in, in SEMGREP? And I want to make sure that you get, that SEMGREP gets appropriate level of mention here because I just find it so valuable. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, first, I would say one uh, thing about TLDRSEC is I cover like many things. So people will uh, email me about specific things. And I feel like for 99% of them, I'm like, I'm absolutely not an expert in this space. But what little <laughs> I do know, here's like a few things. And then I point them to people who like actually know that space. Um, and yeah, so basically, um, maybe to take a quick step back, like, let's say you have a piece of software and you want to 
uh, secure it or find vulnerabilities in it. Generally, there's like two broad like swaths of approaches. So static analysis, you're looking at the code uh, without running it. Dynamic analysis, you're like interacting with a live instance of it. So static analysis, like SEMgrep or tools like that, are one example for dynamic analysis. You'd be like Burp Suite or fuzzing or something like that. Um, and uh, I think what's interesting about SEMgrep is um, it's sort of the only current commercial grade uh, static analysis tool that the engine is open source, as well as the wow. rules or security checks, right? Yep. So most like uh, traditional static analysis tools, neither the rules nor the engine itself are open source. Um, Semmel, which was acquired by GitHub and has become CodeQL, is unique in that uh, they open sourced all the rules, which was like a major step forward, but you still don't have access to the engine. You can't improve the engine. You have no visibility into how it works. Um, if it does something, if it doesn't do something you want, you can't do that. If you're not paying for it, uh, for non-open source, you can't use it. But so SEMgrep is like, hey, this is like a commercial grade static analysis tool, but you can use it for free almost however you want um, on private code, on any CI system. Um, and yeah, we um, have, I think, a similar business model to a lot of um, sort of modern security startups where it's like, hey, we're going to uh, give you a lot of value for free in open source tools because people like open source. And then if you are a business trying to solve business problems, for example, like running some grip at scale across a thousand repos, then we have like a web app that helps you orchestrate things. And there's like a community tier, which is free as well as like a paid version as well. But basically like, how can we build an amazing tool for say individual security practitioners, like consultants, pen testers, bug bounty researchers, they can use it for free however they want, like forever and never pay us anything. Um, but if you're like, oh, this yeah. is cool. Also, I want to secure my company's code and we have like a bunch of repos and we need to integrate into Slack and email and dashboards, blah, blah, blah. Like you could build that yourself. And there are a number of like big companies that have like built their program around SEMgrip and they built their own stuff and they don't even use ours. I'm like, that's okay. Um, Slack actually gave you a talk at DEF CON where they were like, hey, here's how we base our entire program around SEMgrip. Uh, by the way, we don't pay them anything. Um, which we're like, we're like that's lucky cool. you. Uh, and, but but one interesting thing is because it's open source, um, a lot of Slack's code is Hacklang, which is like a statically typed PHP that came out of Facebook. But anyway, so SEMgrep didn't support Hacklang, the programming language. So Slack was so bought in to SEMgrep that they hired two interns to add Hackling support to SEMgrep. Uh, so we weren't paying those interns. This was a company who was not us hiring interns to basically make the tool we're building better. Um, so it's not easy, but you do get some cool, like, I guess the inverse of tragedy of the commons, like the benefit of the commons where, yeah. um, and, and we see that like another uh, third party was like, hey, I want to add Rust support. Somebody else was like, oh, I want to be able to do like smart contracts. So I, I, I don't, Clint, I don't know if you know this, but the fact that you're getting contributions at that level in SEMgrep is like, you're at the 1%, you're rarefied error of open source. Like most open source, 99 point something percent of open source is two dudes in a garage thinking they got the greatest idea since sliced bread, right? The reality of getting that out there, providing value and having people go, holy smokes, this is great. I'm going to give back to it. It's just super impressive, man, to, to be able to get that kind of return. Yeah, it is, uh, to be honest, a bit surprising to me because like, like, so there's like different levels of contribution, right? There's like, hey, I found a bug or this is broken for me or like, hey, I wish you would do this or like, hey, here's a security check I wrote for you, um, which are all valuable and good. But like, really, I think one of the biggest contributions is adding support for a language or something like that, which is um, yeah. 
non-trivial. Like you have to uh, write some like custom OCaml code. Not many people know OCaml, yeah. but we've had people like learn enough OCaml to like add support for stuff. Um, so yeah, I would say it's still, you know, still early stages, still lots to do, but um, people seem to be really uh, finding a lot of value in it. And uh, to me, that's gratifying. I joined about two years ago and uh, the company was just starting with SEMgrep at the time. Um, they had been pivoting and trying a bunch of things. And uh, I thought it was a very promising idea, but it was very much not clear that anyone else was going to find it useful at the time. So selfishly, I feel gratified being like, yeah. this is going to be a big thing. And then uh, it, it has actually been useful. So there, there's a certain level of sticking to your guns when you you know you like it, right? And and completing that through and getting that through to completion that that all of a sudden finds value and finds traction. So congratulations on that. And I mean, we can we can transition that. That is an excellent transition to what you've achieved at TLDRSEC. So I'll let Ashley kind of take the first couple of questions around the newsletter building content and, and things like that. Yeah, um, well, first, how did you transition from like doing that, your day-to-day -day job, and then starting a newsletter? Like, can you help me like learn about the genesis of this newsletter and how it got started? Uh, yeah, so I do both. Uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah could you have tons of free yes, time? Yes, you right? are doing both. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, yeah, it, it's. Uh, but it's different parts of your brain, that. no? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's uh. Not, it's like a bit different, but it, it's easier, right? So it's like I'm a security professional writing about security. I'm not like mm -hmm. a security professional who also um, writes about, uh, I don't know, like um, the medical profession or something that's like totally unrelated to what I do. It's just like, <laughs> it's basically, uh, in some respect, it's like staying current in a way that helps me in my day job. Um, but yeah, the, the way I started was, um, so I was a security consultant at NCC Group at the time. And I was just reading lots of things, like trying to figure out like, oh, what's the coolest thing? And um, uh, you know, cloud security, or like, I need a tool that helps me do this because I'm on a gig and I need to be able to do this. And um, yeah, it, it kind of happened by accident where I, um, some friend uh, was like, hey, I need to know, like, I don't know, what are all like the cool resources you have on like deserialization attacks in like .NET and Ruby or something. And I'm like, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's like a list of things. And like, I went through my notes and went through my browser history. I'm like, you know, crafted them in an email and sent it to him. And then, um, you know, like a few days later, someone else was like, hey, what are all your resources on like doing this sort of thing? And I was like, uh, okay, let me look. Um, and uh, basically I found that um, there was like a reasonable overlap between what my friends were asking me to share and they each like found it useful. And I was like, well, you know, instead of doing this ad hoc, why don't I share it with more people? Why don't I just like publish it so anyone can take advantage of it? And um, yeah, so it just sort of happened by like, you know, how can I do something slightly less or slightly more scalable than like me handcrafting emails to like individual friends? And um, yeah, so I just like started putting it out there. Um, it started out pretty ad hoc, like the structure was always changing. Uh, it didn't come out every week. Um, so over time, it's become a lot more regular. But um, yeah, so it just happened by accident, basically. Nice. So at what point did you actually start um, like? requiring subscriptions, right? Because um, yeah. you're saying you're not doing it every week and it's kind of here and there. So early how, on was it here and there or were you consistent early on? Uh, so early on, I think um, I think it was like I was giving a B-Sides SF talk and I wanted to like 
mention the talk and like put that on a on a page so i was like okay like i'll have an issue for that and then i think the next one was like a month later and then some of the later ones were like two weeks in between or something so if you look back to like issue number one or issue number two like you'll see that there's some time between them actually do you remember Um, what year what year issue number one was when you started this uh it's probably 2018 or 2019 wow that's super impressive to have kept this up now even even like once every couple months at the beginning but you're super consistent now you've turned this into something that drives so much value to so many people so it uh it has to be consistent now so (laughs) they they talk about like um, (laughs) if you uh if you talk about uh like um james clear's atomic habits or various like productivity or habits gurus there's a bunch of things um people say like oh do this to be consistent one would be like oh make it a habit then it becomes automatic or uh external accountability or um various things like that and uh i've accidentally realized that i've incorporated none of uh, a number of those things not intentionally like Uh so for example like um deciding to take on sponsors um Mm -hmm. i'm like well i can't not do it now because they're like you know i paid you money where's my issue um, <laughs> yeah, it, it becomes a forcing function for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think to a lesser extent, well, yeah. So at first it was like, oh, I'm just uh, sort of pressuring myself to do it. So it's sort of like, uh, I guess, intrinsic. And then I was like, oh, after there's a certain number of people, um, even if there's a few hundred, you know, there's a lot of those people I don't even know. So I don't want to let them down. Um, and the people I know, they're going to be like, oh, like, why didn't you send it out this week? So once you get a few subscribers, you're like, oh, I need to keep doing it. And then sort of the next level of accountability of sponsors. And then I don't know what the next level is, but uh, yeah. So it's no, not that's really a choice. It's like, <laughs> oh, I just have to do that. <laughs> You're toast now, man. You're locked. You are, you are a slave to the subscribers. It, it is kind of like that, to be honest. <laughs> but, but they're like very nice about it, though. So it's... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Not you know what? I, I, I look forward to the date that Ashley and I are a slave to our subscribers. You know, all four of them right now are driving our our our, our content. Our regular cadence. Together. Yeah, our regular cadence. Although we've come out right out of the gate. Regular cadence every other Tuesday. Yes. Lock and load. And I, I do I do um you know, I do think Ashley is super producer around that. She makes that happen, right? In a consistent manner. I, on the other hand, I'm a hot mess. There's no way I could no, I could deliver that. But um, how did you, did you ever like early on, like at what point did you set up a page so that people could su- subscribe to it? Right. Um, and then once that was there, did you consciously go, oh, I need to drive subscriptions? Or has it always just been like this word of mouth, natural, I'm providing value. People like Tyler, who totally recognize the value, will tell their friends. And it's just kind of done a, done a, a a self-fulfilling prophecy? Or did you go, hey, I'm going to drive subscribers. I'm going to do these two or three things to drive subs. Yeah. Um, So I guess I had a subscribe page from early on because I needed to figure out, like, how am I going to email people? So I was like, well, how do people do this? And I was like, ah, MailChimp. Okay, that seems to be, like, a common thing. So that's what I still use now. Um, And so MailChimp, when you create a list or whatever, there is, like, a page they give you. Um, and you can also have a um, sort of like a sign up box that uh, you can put on sure. your blog, um, which like adds in. So I do that. Um, I will say uh, they talk about like, 
hey, don't get everything perfect, just start. And um, I can anecdotally say that I mm -hmm. uh, absolutely, well, failed to do that at first, but now that's sort of what I'm trying to do going forward. So um, this is a true story. I actually, uh, so when I was deciding to do TLDR set consistently, I was like, okay, well, I need a, a blog and like a domain and like, uh, okay, like what is my blog gonna look like? So I, I spent probably several weeks looking at different themes and I have like this doc that like just has a list of themes that's like, okay, what are the pros and cons of different themes? And um, choosing a theme delayed me doing the newsletter at least several weeks, maybe a month or two. Um, so, which, which by the way, I had like, you know, zero subscribers, zero content. It shouldn't have mattered at all. Not at all. <laughs> it should not have mattered, but it did delay me. I want to say over a month, maybe more. Wow. Um, but now there's a bunch of improvements. That's because that you cared. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You cared uh, about how you presented it to the world, which I like, which honestly I can empathize with. You know, it's so funny. I tend to so, spend too much time. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm just going to say, like, you know, with our with our journey with cyber therapy, which is a new show. We're on episode, like I said, we're on episode twelve, thirteen, whatever it is now. Thirteen. It, it, yeah, Ashley and I, you know, we had discussions for many weeks if not months like how are we gonna do it are yeah it was this it? time last year yeah should we do it are we gonna do it how are we gonna do it what should it look That's like I don't know. yeah what should we cover? Uh, we'll figure it out next week kick it down the can like kick it down the road and eventually i just said ashley here's our live date i don't care if it looks like garbage i don't care if we have we're going live on this date and you're going to be on it and i'm going to be on it so let's let's right and there's a certain level of commitment in content creation they say that what is it, Ash? You know, 10, 10 episodes, like oh yeah, the ninety like ninety percent of uh, podcasts don't get past ten episodes. Right, I might have quoted that wrong. Yeah, yeah. But so whatever. we're past whatever ten episodes. Is, a lot. <laughs> Most of them don't get past ten episodes, and I think I think you know, there's a certain level of I'm going to create the content because I enjoy creating the content. Like that's a passion and I'm having fun with it. Right. And so for us, it certainly has been a lot of that for me personally, because I love my every other Tuesday time slot with Ashley. I look forward to it every single two weeks. Right. It's like, yes, we got another. <laughs> and it helps that we have kick ass guests. Right. It mm -hmm. really does. Um, but did you ever did you ever have the moment of like, I don't care if anybody's going to read this. I really don't care. I'm just creating this because I think it's cool. And there's like four people on the other side. I know there's at least four. I'm going to create it for those four. And if those four turn into 10, turn into 40, then great. That's wonderful. Did you ever have that moment? Yeah, I do think that podcasts and newsletters are too much work to do them for a reason other than like you enjoy it. I, I think if you don't just um, like, and, and there's obviously like, it's a grind a lot of times and it's hard, but in terms of like, if you just fundamentally don't enjoy it in itself, I, I think it's, just like impossible to be sustainable, even if it's like paying you a lot of money, which it won't yeah. for a long time. Um, but yeah, I, I would say like reading just about cool tools and articles and talks like is just something I intrinsically enjoy. Um, and that's really like a core reason why I was able to keep doing it for so long. Um, yeah, I think it's sort of like, well, I would kind of do this anyway. I just happen to be sharing it more broadly. Um, I, I definitely read more than I probably would if there wasn't like a forcing function, but I would still be doing at least some percentage of what I do anyway. So, so I just messaged Ashley in the background to take the next question, but I'm going to jump in front of her um, <laughs> as, as a good host will do. 
Do you feel any competition? So I'm going to take a step back. There are three or four things I read every day. A couple of them are financial related because I'm an investor and I care about that that content. Yeah, I'm curious what the other ones are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll give you. I'll tell you exactly what they are. But the two tech ones I care about are yours and um, Daniel Meisler's. Oh, right? nice. I feel like those are A and and A plus, right? And I'm not going to tell you who's who. But what I will tell you is I love them both. Is there ever a sense of um, competition amongst friends here like i'm putting out better content than you or i'm putting out content that that you know reaches a bigger bigger audience because you guys are both i I consider you both friends i've known daniel for a number of years i've known you even longer um is there any kind of competitive rivalry between my two favorite cybersecurity content creators yeah this is a great question but i'm gonna probe you on yeah what's a what's what's the a and what's the a plus i'm not gonna tell you not gonna share it not going to share. I feel bad. I feel bad for one of you, and I'm not going to tell. I'm not going to tell you which one of you it is. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So, so Daniel is a, is a really good friend. Um, we, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, to be honest, our newsletters kind of brought us together. Where like I, um, yeah. I had been reading his for a number of years, and then um, I think he and I crossed paths at a few conferences, and we would be like, like, oh hey, like. So, and we'd like talk for a little bit. Like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we would just like pass. Uh, yeah, so we like chatted a little bit, but then like not really. And then um, we ended up like randomly getting coffee a couple of years ago. And then we were like, oh, this is so fun. And we like really nerded out about sort of the newsletter process in terms of like, I was oh, like there for that. Tell me how your reading workflow, like, 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 what's your what's your writing workflow? How do you? What are your sources? How do you like? And it was just very much like. Uh, like super nitty gritty, like, oh yeah. And then we have like auto tagging by this and like, like, like we've literally uh, <laughs> talked like hours about minutia that would be very boring to like anyone who doesn't run a newsletter. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I think um, definitely my perception I think has changed over time in terms of like uh, viewing things as competition. Like, well, I guess when I started something, when you don't have like anyone reading it, you need like, basically like why should this exist right like uh and there are some things that i think of daniel's uh very excellent unsupervised learning um newsletter uh if that didn't exist tlbr sec would probably be different um because well i think there are some things about his that i think are really good that i feel like he's just already doing such a good job that i'm like well like not not in terms of like i don't want to encroach on his territory but just like I don't. You're gonna leave that white space to him. You're gonna leave that space to him. Yeah, it's just like he's he already does it so well. I would just rather let him do it and like I'll like do something a bit different. Like so, I guess to give you a specific example, I feel like he does really good at like um, uh, sort of like more like life philosophy, productivity, and also just like maybe current eventsy. There's like several classes of things that I personally find interesting, but are not a focus of TLDR sec because I feel like he already does such a good job. Um, and it's, uh, like when you're starting a newsletter and there's already like existing bigger players, like probably like you need a reason to exist, right? Like I, I was like, well, at, at the time, I think unsupervised learning was probably already 30 or 40,000 subscribers. And I was like, you know, 10. So I was like, I'm not going to build a better unsupervised learning because he already does such an amazing job. So I was like, well, what am I more interested in or what is like, I think, uniquely valuable such that someone could get value from both. 
Um, but yeah, so I would say I felt definitely more stressed about like other existing things when I first started, but now I'm, I feel like it's at least to me, TLDR sec is established enough that like it clearly has like a differentiated value from other things. And, um, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, share links all the time, like not just through the newsletter, but like I, um, just email Daniel links all the time that I'm like, oh, I think you'd probably like this. And then he includes them in the newsletter and like vice versa. And so it's very like collaborative and, and helping each other. And, um, I don't think uh, it's competitive at all. Yeah, no, I, I would never put you into a competitive situation. I like yours better. <laughs> um, Daniel, love you, buddy. Love you, buddy. But Clint's got the A+. Plus. Um, <laughs> I'm totally just kidding. But Ash, did you want to did you want to take the next question in the list? Yeah. Um, when you first started, like you talked about how when you were choosing your theme for your website and everything like that, like you put a lot of thought into it. And... I wanted to know what was it like when you f first started shipping it to a lot of people, especially people outside of your network, your immediate network. Like, what was that like? Did you have any like sender paralysis? Talk, talk to me about that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think um, it it is very scary. I think putting yourself out online, whether that's uh, tweeting something you wrote or writing a blog post or having a newsletter, because it is. Um, I think. Uh, either it's like a part of you in terms of like your opinion or it's like your work. Um, and any of these things could be either appreciated by people or people will be like, like, oh, you don't know anything. You're a noob, like flame. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I, I would say, um, so how it started, like the first 10 to 30 people were just like friends of mine who I emailed and was like, hey, I'm starting this thing. Do you want me to like, do you mind if I add you? And I literally like, if they said yes, like went to MailChimp put in their email and was like manually add. Um, <laughs> start somewhere. So I, I did that for probably 30 to 70 people maybe, um, or maybe 50. But anyway, so like, but as it started growing, um, the first people were mostly like friends or friends of friends. And I'm like, okay, well, I know most of these people. But then um, I started getting a number of people who I'm like, oh, I don't even know who these people are. Um, or occasionally it'll be someone where I recognize their email, but I didn't tell them but they're like someone I look up to. And I was like, Ooh, like really nervous, like both excited, but also nervous. I, I think uh Oh, better up my game. Yeah. So there were a couple of people who I was like, Oh man, I need to like, you know, get my stuff together now. Um, so, so real quickly, Clint, was it like when you saw that tyler.shields at gmail.com that you really wanted up your game? That was, that was one of them. That was definitely number one. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, just like uh, people in the industry whose names I recognized and looked up to. Um, and I uh, also, I think people who um, like prominently uh, endorsed me on like LinkedIn or Twitter. And then I was like, well, like it needs to not be bad now because then they'll look bad because they were like putting their reputation on the line. Um, External so accountability. Yeah, so I would say I, I did feel uh, very nervous uh, at the beginning, such that um, yeah, I'd be like you know about to press send uh, in Mailchimp, and I'd be like trembling and like you know bullets of sweat. Um, I, I would say uh, over time that's gone less. Uh, it's sort of like I don't know if you've ever done any performing arts, but sort of like if you're if you're on stage in front of like ten or fifteen people, it's like pretty nerve wracking. But if you're in like a massive auditorium and the lights are such that you can't see most anyone. Uh, it can be less intimidating uh, to do a big venue in which you can't see like any of the a thousand people versus like 
uh, 10 people. Cause sort of like, I guess the incremental difference in like, I don't know, it's less personal and it's more like performatory, I guess. Yep. Mm -hmm. What were you most afraid of in the early days of your newsletter? Cause you said you had paralysis, right? Like what were you most afraid of? And do you, yeah. do you look back now and go, Oh my gosh, that was completely irrational. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, Mm. I think I was afraid of like mischaracterizing people's work, like describing it in a way that was either inaccurate or uh, that showed that I had some like lack of understanding or perhaps a misunderstanding of some technical area. Um, so but so I, I that's super interesting to me. That's super interesting to me because what, what you feared wasn't necessarily about necessarily looking like a fool yourself or making a bad call yourself or something like that. But more about putting somebody else into a situation where their stuff was mischaracterized, right? That, that to me is a really interesting kind of view into, I guess, into kind of what makes you click with regards to like why you care about what you're doing, right? You want to get that content out there and you want it represented appropriately. Yeah. Well, I think, um, yeah, I would say like, that was like my top level fear, but I think if you like dig under that, I, I do think it would be ultimately, um, yeah, having people, perceive my, uh, yeah, think, think I just, uh, don't know what I'm talking about or am sort of, uh, uh, I guess feeding into like imposter syndrome type things be like, Oh, you, you know, yep. you don't think you know things and now other people know it. It's not just like, uh, only, you know, so I'm going to go and go ahead and answer for you. The second half of that question and tell you that was irrational <laughs> <laughs> because you're a really freaking smart dude. And, and the, the content you put out is amazing. So, I'm going to jump to the next question. Um, you know, one of the reasons I like reading your newsletter is your wit. Like you're funny as hell. Your, your, your jokes you. are fantastic. You're on point. Tell me a little bit about um, how you developed your voice, how you thought, Hey, people are going to find this funny and I'm going to go ahead and make it, make some comedic humor around that. Tell me a little bit how you developed your voice. Um, and I, I know where this is going to go because we had a prep call. Talk to me about where you really learned that, that piece of it. Yeah. Um, so uh, sort of going back to what we were chatting about a bit before, like to keep doing something, it needs to be fun for you. And uh, that just keeps it fresh and fun for me is like putting in um, like a meme or a joke or a one-off comment. Um, and I don't always know how it's going to go. Um, sometimes... <laughs> There are some things that I've ended up cutting last minute and some things that I ended up leaving in that I'm like, oh, I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm just going to see. Um, Do you ever like, have anybody else review before you send it or no? it's just you? Uh, sometimes I have like friends uh, or uh, things like that read it, um, but mostly it's just me. But wow. that's <laughs> honestly because a lot of times uh, it doesn't get done till like right before. Um, yes, yeah, so <laughs> I understand. Yeah, cybertherapy.tv. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think um. So uh, if, if you're curious, like sort of throughout the week, I'm like you know finding articles, writing little summaries, and then the actually the intro blurb at the beginning, which I try to have at least one sort of off funny thing at the beginning. Which I usually write that. Part. So yeah, thank you. I usually write that last. And I usually write that Wednesday evenings, probably starting at 6 or 8 p.m. Uh, and then um, I sort of like, that time pressure forces me to, to do it. Um, but 
Um, yeah, so I, I, in terms of like finding your voice, um, yeah, when I was first starting a lot of like writing advice or blogging or newsletter advice, it talks about like finding your voice. And so I read maybe like five or 10 articles on it. And I was like, I'm not sure I understand this. Like, the, I don't know if this makes sense to me. Um, and I was like, I don't really know what my voice is. So I kind of just like ignored all of the advice and just was like, well, I'm just gonna like write how I want to. Um, and then uh, over time, a couple of people were like, oh yeah, I really like, maybe I think you and some other friends were, were like, oh, I really like yep. the voice of it. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I read those <laughs> articles and they didn't make sense to me. And then I just like kept writing anyway. And um, I, I think um, kind of like how you can uh, write a, a, an article or a white paper, not necessarily like, oh, these are all the points I want to make and here's the structure, but it's more like you write a bunch of things and then it sort of organically like the structure appears. I think your voice is kind of like that, at least how it's been for me, where I'm like, oh, I'll just do what I feel like. And then over time, it becomes like more natural or I guess just more obvious to me um, what I should do or like what feels right to me. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I just write like what I want to, which I guess is my voice. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, that's your good. voice. It's literally yeah. your voice. There's a, a marketer by the name of Anne Handley who writes a fortnightly uh, newsletter sent on Sundays that I love reading. It's all about marketing stuff. So like I really enjoy reading it. But one of the um, she interviewed on uh, this podcast that I was listening to and she said, you know, she started with one voice in mind, but as she kept it up, she actually refined it to just to what it is today, which is pretty crisp, witty, and mm -hmm. to the point of like the things that she wants to share and then a whole list of ex extra resources for other marketers, right? Um, mm -hmm. Which I always thought was cool because I think initially when I started here at Jupiter One, right? One, I have the freedom, right? To be able to like be me and and because yeah. that's just the culture here. I feel I love the culture at Jupiter One, but I had major paralysis of putting my voice into our newsletter uh, mm. that I also did not start out very consistently <laughs> doing. Um, but I think over time, we have gotten into a good rhythm, I would say, that has helped us refine what are we putting in there? How are we talking about like the stuff that we want to talk about? So um, there is something to be said about just going at it habitually. Yeah, no, I certainly, I certainly second Ashley, your voice has come through in everything we do inside of uh, Jupiter One's marketing. So thank you for providing that. But um, yeah, actually, uh, so do you do you write the Jupiter One newsletters, Ashley? I did in the beginning. I have handed that off to our comms person, Melissa. If you're listening, hi, Melissa. Um, and so now it's like a collective effort across the team to read, mm -hmm. write, collaborate compile. Melissa does the bulk of the work, honestly, of the writing. And I think she's carried a lot of what I started into where we're going today. So. Yeah. You know, you know, Clint, it's very interesting when we talk about voice and, and culture and how they kind of interconnect. Ashley's culture and voice has been a major piece of how we've built Jupiter One's, I would say company as a whole, but certainly the marketing organization and how she approaches things. Mm -hmm. Um, she just kind of got that right vibe, that right voice. And you know it when you hear it. That's the hard thing about voice. And I think you'll agree with this when I heard what you were describing. Like, you don't necessarily know what your voice is until it's there. And then you look back at the 
the wealth of what you've created. And you're like, yeah, there's a consistent voice there. There's something I'm doing that's consistent. And Ashley has brought that, I think, brought that voice to what we do at Jupiter One and certainly what we do here on cyber therapy. But um, I, I do want to um, change gears just a little bit. And I want to roll back in time. We're going to go a little bit extra on this episode just because it's super interesting to me and I'm selfish. Um, <laughs> that's my boss, did, y'all. You did some improv, right? Mm-hmm. In your uh, history? Yeah, for do many you years. Do you that in any way lended to the voice that you've created inside of TLDR Sec? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, so I did uh, improv uh, comedy through college and grad school. And even as NSF, I w- was on a team for a number of years. Um, and I've also done um, sketch writing and stuff as well. So I think like humor wow. and sort of That's like cool. whimsy has always been sort of fun to me. So I think, uh, yeah, it's hard to say whether it's like because of that or if it's just that's kind of how I was and then I did that and then that heightened some of the things in me. But um, yeah, I think just like who I am is a bit sort of silly and whimsical and um, also technical, but it's sort of like those. Uh, I love of, it. I it's, think it's such a unique like blend of. It's literally the voice. If I were to describe the voice of TLDR sec as a as a whole, you just did like whimsical, funny, yet technical and smart. Like, OK, that's literally <laughs> TLDR sec in a nutshell. But the cool thing about improv, I think that I think that feeds into our game today, does it not, Ashley? It does. So today, taking into account uh, Clint's improv background, I figure today we can play the game of questions, questions. And so, so you'll have, essentially, you have to clue me in. I have no idea what yes, that is. No worries. So typically, <laughs> it's two people going head to head, um, and you are only allowed to respond with the question. If you end up responding with a statement or you hesitate for too long, then you're out. Oh, I'm so toast. He has experience uh, at this. Yeah. This is a hard game. But I'm dead meat, dude. You've done it before. You know, real quickly, before we go down this path, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to get my ass kicked by you, Clint. But I do want to call out Dan Meisler to come on the show and yeah, do a is. better interview for unsupervised learning at a later date. so that June we can 21st. We can talk about the the two the two organizations, the, the two different newsletters. But go ahead, Ash. What was that? I was going to say he's he's agreed to join us on June twenty first. Oh my god! I didn't know yeah. that. Oh. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, two days before my birthday. Yeah, Meisler. perfect on, gift, birthday gift, right Let's there. Go. It's like I knew. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's do your game. Go ahead, Ash. All right. Uh, who would like to go f- up? Do you want to go up against Clint first? Or do you want me to go up against Clint first? Okay. So I will, I will set the <laughs> stage and I'm probably going to lose horribly, but I'm really excited about this game because I think it's fun. All right. Um, what is your favorite zoo animal? If you had to choose between a tiger and koala, which would speak to you more? Do the stripes have any... Uh, <laughs> impact on the decision here? <laughs> Would it be possible to not make stripes the best part of the decision? <laughs> <laughs> but aren't koalas just so cute? I don't know. Oh, that I think I just actually screwed that up if one. I stopped with, I don't know. That was a cheesy one. It was. The koalas are cute, aren't they? Oh, aren't koalas they? are very cute. 
<laughs> All right. Clint loses round one. Clint loses round one. Let's go to round two. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, Tyler, you can kick it off. Where, and so you're going up with Clint. With literally anything I want? Yes. Any question. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, what if I get stumped on before the very first question? That's that's the question. What if I get stumped on the very first question, Clint? If you got stumped before we started, is there anything more embarrassing? <laughs> you know, that that's an excellent question because I think something that would be more embarrassing. I'm done. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do it. I got going and I couldn't couldn't finish. Oh, All I right, thought you were going to pull it up. Yeah. I, I thought was, so too. I was close. I was close. Oh, and who do you want to go against? Me or Clint? Oh, no, no, no. Clint's going to kick us off and just let us know who you're know. Yeah, tossing Do you have any preference, Ashley? I, oh, there it goes. <laughs> well, I do love me some games. This, and this game is quite fun. Do you know any games that are similar to this? Have you ever heard of that game, um, uh, like startups for the rest of us? God, no, I cool. haven't, but I do work at a startup and I'm wondering if uh, you had any tips on how to survive burnout. Hmm. Have you heard that the leading cause of burnout is a separation, lack of separation between work and personal life? I have. And do you have any tips on how to set that boundary up? <laughs> my God, that was weak. <laughs> I'm sorry. But these are actually questions that I have in my head too. So yeah. Um, is it is it harder for you to stop working or to find something joyful outside of work? God, he's good. Wow. Uh, uh, it's harder for me to stop working. So um, I've tried to pick up okay. cooking. Uh, you have any you're recipes? Done. You're done. Because <laughs> you're answering with a statement and then adding a question after. Yes. Is that not allowed? Out. Supposed to hey, I'm the game only. master here. That's totally allowed. <laughs> question only. <laughs> Yeah, I think, yeah, by the strictest interpretation of the game, I think, uh, yeah, it has to be the whole thing as a question. I was probably violating that as well. But yeah, because I, I think otherwise it could be like statement question, which is... Exactly. It totally defeats the true. purpose, Ashley Lee. You're right. Yeah, okay, fired. I broke my own rules. Yes, it's true. Yeah, fired. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> All right. All right. Do we want to go one more round or are we done? Up to you. You're the boss. Tyler. I just do what I'm Tyler, doing. do you want to get your butt kicked by Clint again? No, I quite frankly, I don't. He's really <laughs> good. Apparently, like he's really good. You know what I loved, would love to do, Clint, someday is actually do like a full improv session with you. I would just think that'd be so much fun. I could learn so much, but I don't think we'll do it on this show. I don't think we have time for it. Um, well, do you any? happen? Are you, this is not a question for the question game, but um, <laughs> do you typically find yourself going to summer um, hacker camp, ha hacker summer camp? in Las Vegas, like Def Black, Hat, Black Hat. Yeah, I go uh, most years. I haven't gone since uh, COVID, but before that I went the previous like five or seven years in a row probably. So I remember, so I remember. Maybe we can do something live there. Oh, that could be yeah. fun. Do 
Yeah, Tyler. And I remember many, many years ago, Clint, uh, when you and I sat down at a table, I think it was at Black Hat, and we talked yeah. about SEMGREP and starting businesses and early stages of TLDRSEC, I, I think, if it was back then. Yeah, you uh, you wow. gave me a lot of really good advice, which uh, uh, I wrote down and like impacted uh, how I thought about things and some of the things I pursued. So thanks, well, uh, thanks for taking the time. Did it contribute to the paralysis of choosing your theme? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Overthinking only thing I said was like theme number one. Don't worry about content. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> what I said. We sat down. I said, "You buy the drinks, and I'm going to tell you right now, themes are all that matter." <laughs> all right, all about is how you look. We're going to wrap this show, uh, Clint. I really, I really look forward to the day I can sit down with you and have another beer over one of those events. I miss you, buddy. I hope you're doing well. I'm glad you're doing well. It sounds like you're doing fantastic. Congratulations on the growth of TLDR Sec to what it is today. Obviously, I'm a huge fan. Um, thanks, man. Thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to be really kind here and just gently say, hey, get off my show. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. All Actually, right, folks. Awesome. And your game was good. I'm, I'm, that was super fun. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed it. I feel like it's more fun in person, to be honest. I don't know. There's an in-person stress factor. What I learned from that, that game I find a little bit thrilling. Not what I learned lie. from that game is I really suck at it. Like, I'm not good. You it's ask funny. me questions can... all the time. I'm surprised you didn't just pull any out of your butt. You know, I'm really good at making up BS as we go. Like, that's what I do on the show 24-7. But for whatever reason, I couldn't do it in a question mode. It was really weird for me. The pressure I'm got much, to you, huh? I'm much more statement-oriented. Um, Ashley, All right, folks. I just wanted to. Yes, I will. Uh, so, folks, for those of you who are still with us, TLDR Sec, that is your place to go. Go ahead and subscribe and get a bit of Clint's uh, wit and technical knowledge along the way. Um, and, you know, if you want to respond to him in his emails too, feel free to say you heard about this from our show. Um, next episode is going to be on May 3rd. Uh, same time, same place. Uh, YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitch. Um, and it is going to be with Angela Marafino. She is from Microsoft. She's the product manager at Microsoft. And she wrote a spectacular chapter in her upcoming book that is coming out in May. So I just want to give you all a, a heads up that we are um, gearing up to launch our newest project in May. Um, so definitely tune in May 3rd. Um, and we also have another author, Colleen Shane, joining us May 17th. So first and third Tuesdays of the month, 5 p.m. Eastern. See us on YouTube, and I hope to see you there. Absolutely. Awesome. Oh, and also, as Tyler likes to remind me, smash that like button. Smash it. And and ring that bell to subscribe to YouTube and all the goodness. Um, and then you'll it get really does make a difference. About to go. It really does make a difference to us. Subscribers matter. Uh, notifications matter, viewers matter. So please tell your friends, please tweet about it. If you enjoy the show, even at all, a little bit, please tweet about it. Please tell your friends, please put it on LinkedIn and let everyone know. And definitely smash that subscribe button. Thanks, Ash.